Thanks for listening to the Movement Church Podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. I've shared with you the last few weeks that, that uh, I've been home for about two weeks after a two-week pilgrimage in Israel. And one of the things that is lost, was lost on me before I got there was just how small of a geographical footprint things happened when Jesus was doing his ministry over there. And what you would have to consider and have to picture is that Jesus walking with the 12 disciples and walking with his followers everywhere he was going, just how compact things were to get around, just the ways in which that Jesus would have to find ways to connect, and just the ways in which that as they're walking and as they're, they're going about their day, Jesus was constantly having to invest in those around him. Now, now, for me, when I think about this, this idea of, of investing, I think about all the times when, you know what, they were probably getting on his nerves, right? They're a little frustrated with them. That, that investing, with, investing in other people was difficult and was a challenge. But I think there's something about having people around you that you love and you care about, that you have a relationship with that helps us get through these things. There's been these brain studies that confirm some of this. There's this brain study that the University of Virginia did, and it's weird, it's kind of crazy, I can't believe they're allowed to do it. But they did this test where on a screen you would see a series of O's or X's. And when an X came up, you had a 20% likelihood of getting a small, of course they say that, it's like saying minor for minor surgery, they say a small electric shock in your ankle. Like, you get, you get jolted with this electric slide. I don't know how this is legal. I don't know why people are doing this. But they would do this to kind of, re, would kind of measure how the brain reacted to life-threatening situations. And so, of course, when an X would come up, whether it was the 20% or the 80%, when they would get a shock, people would tense up. But they found that when a loved one was in the room, that level of anxiety and stress and fear and worry went down. That there's something about our brains that when we are connected to other people, we are able to handle challenges. We are able to handle adversities and pains far easier. You know, I, I think about this. Uh, yesterday, I got to spend time with my four best friends in the world. Or really, I'm sorry, my three best friends in the world and their wives. And I got together, the four of us, the four couples were together and our kids were running around. And, and it's, this, it's this thing where on Saturdays, I usually have a lot of kind of night before school anxiety, right? Like, I'm worried about what's going to happen on Sunday morning. Am I, is my sermon ready? Is everything kind of covered? And I usually, and this is no joke, like 8 o'clock Saturday night, like I'm thinking about going to bed. Like, I, I have no joke about that. I'm up early on Sunday morning. Heidi's nodding over there. She knows that I've, I've done that. We'll do that. But we're sitting around. We're two and a half hours away last night. And it's like 8, 8.30, and I'm like, oh, I guess we better go home. And like, that would never happen. But I think there was something about being with my closest friends. It changed that. Because this is what also brain science tells us. That as we get older, our need for real relationships does not go away, does not end. It increases. Our need for relationships as we go through life increases. But what typically happens? As we get older, we isolate ourselves more, don't we? As we go through life, we, we begin to kind of draw lines and isolate and push people away. We let friendships kind of wane and those relationships kind of wither. And what I find in reading the scriptures and what I find in looking at the model of Jesus, when particularly we think about from the lens of saying, how are we investing in other people? This doesn't just happen. I see intentionality. 
I see Jesus showing up in people's lives. We're in this series called The Invitation. And this series kicked off last week. We challenged everyone to be praying for three people. And the challenge is you'd be praying for those three people, and eventually you will make an ask. You will invite them to church. And I gave all this preamble, and you can listen to it on the podcast, but let me just say this. This is not about filling all the seats in this room. This is not about just some sort of stroking my ego, look how, much, how big our church is. This is what we believe. We believe that when people follow Jesus, their life is better. They are better at life because they experience a relationship with the creator of the universe. They are loved. They are forgiven. They are shown truth and given counsel like we can not even begin to imagine. It doesn't solve all of our problems. It doesn't guarantee health and wealth. It doesn't guarantee ease of life. But we believe it is better, it is fuller, it is as things should be. That when we connect with God, that is the sweet spot. That is what things are supposed to look like. And we say this, that, that you can meet Jesus anywhere. We believe the Spirit of God is everywhere, is anywhere, is all the time. We believe it is outside of our understanding. We believe that you can meet Jesus on your own, but in our experience, in my experience, Sunday morning, a church environment, what's going on outside of Sunday morning, but this community, this is a good place to start. So we invite people to church, not because if you don't show up at 1030, you don't show up at Movement Church or some other church fill in the blank, you're going to miss out on this. We do this because we say, we are trying to help one another find and follow Jesus. And this is one of our best attempts at it. We don't have all the answers, but come along, because when you're a part of this, we are all enriched. We are all better for it. So if we're serious about following Jesus, if we're serious about following Jesus, we should not be doing this alone. We should not be doing this alone. We should be looking to connect with other people. So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 9. And Matthew chapter 9 is kind of interesting, because it's almost like a, like a day in the life of Jesus. Okay, I, I, love, I love this kind of look because it kind of gives us like these boom, 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 these events. Now, now the Gospel of Matthew, which is the larger name of it, but Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, about three quarters of the way through your Bible. Matthew is writing this Gospel, this account of Jesus, with a purpose. It's not journalism, it's not a biography, it's not history, it's a message. It is trying to tell the story of the Gospel of Jesus. But Matthew is writing with a specific audience in mind. There's kind of this base note, this underlying principle of what's going on here. Matthew is writing to people who have a Jewish background, people who are currently Jewish, people who have begun to follow Jesus but are kind of, all this Judaism is knocking around in their head as well. He's kind of writing in response to that. So kind of what's unsaid, what's kind of underlying all of this is all of the laws, all of the understandings, whether it be dietary or, or who can worship when and, and how God interacts with us and this Jewish mindset. So Matthew is writing with all that subtext, but we often miss so much of this. So we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 9. And before this interaction I'm going to talk about, Jesus has been traveling. He's all around this region, which is small, but he's having to walk. He's having to cross by boat, and they, you know, he's, he's having to, to, to make his way around. He's casting out demons, he's calming storms, he's healing people. And we read this in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It says, Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, 
I don't care if this is your first time in church, right? You read this so far, you know what's going to happen next, right? You know that the man who is paralyzed is going to get up and walk. Like, like, you know this is where it's going. Like, not to spoil anything, but that's what's happening here. Jesus is healing this man. And it's so easy for us, whether we've been in church all our lives or in the single digits, and we're just trying to figure this out, or we're just coming back, or wherever it is, it's so easy for us to say, okay, Jesus healed another person. I get it. He does this a lot. But I think we might miss something that's going on here. We might miss something that's happening here. Now, now think about it this way. You get home from a trip. You've been on vacation. It's been a work trip. Whatever it is, there's something about going home, right? There's something, about, there's something powerful about going home. Like you miss your own bed. You miss, you miss maybe food you're familiar with. Maybe, maybe you miss your own shower. Maybe you miss your own toilet. Just saying, just saying. Maybe you want to go home and you want to get back into that routine, right? The last thing you want to do when you get home is have to deal with a problem. Right? That's, maybe some of you, you clean the house before you go on vacation, right? Because you don't want to come home. You don't want to come home. Hey, we're awake. All right, yeah. Heidi had a late night too. She's, she's awake over there. That's great. Uh, but we, we want to come home to a clean house. We don't want to deal with problems. So, so if I'm in Jesus' spot, which is a ludicrous thought, but I don't want to heal this guy. Like I'm back home after doing all this stuff. I just want to go and do my thing. I want to rest and reconnect with my, my family, my loved ones. But if you're watching this unfold, you're not surprised that Jesus heals this guy. You, you would expect that. But notice that he says, take heart, your sins are forgiven. I mean, how is that connected to whether or not this guy's legs work? How is this connected or how does this make sense or how does this matter to the guy being physically healed or not? So we, we miss what's going on here. In the time of Jesus, and, and honestly, this is very much a Hebrew thought. This is an Old Testament thought, particularly in the first century. The thought of a physical ailment, a physical disability and illness, it was not just a physical problem. It was a spiritual problem as well. That, that they understood that there was, there was a way in which that we could go against God. We could ignore God's teaching and guidance and leadership. We could sin, and therefore we would incur pun punishment on ourselves and future generations. And this would manifest at times with physical ailments. So when Jesus heals the guy and he says, your sins are forgiven before doing so, he is making this grand commentary. He is making this grand statement that, hey, your issue is not because you screwed up, but I am healing you and I am forgiving you nonetheless. I am extending this grace to you, even though Jesus understands that, that your sins is not what caused you to be paralyzed. I am going to free you from this because this is what you are living in, this emotional shame that somehow he caused the affliction or dads think about this that your sins were passed on the generation to your kids and they were paying the price of your mistakes what shame this man lying there on the mat experiences all this guilt and what does jesus do he not only cares about his body he cares about his heart he cares about his soul he cares about what's going on in his head Jesus eventually heals this man, but just as important, he speaks words of forgiveness. He removes the guilt and shame. And so what we see here, what we learn here in this first story is that Jesus invested in relationships by seeking to understand people's hearts. 
Jesus doesn't just solve problems and check the boxes. He understands what's going on in the heart. He, he understands that there's something deeper there. He doesn't just do something for this guy. He connects with this guy. The second story starts in verse 9 of chapter 9 there. Verse 9, it says that as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Now, tax collectors, maybe you've heard this before, but it's an important thing to consider. Tax collectors were not like IRS agents of today. You see, the Romans were going to get paid whether they, in whatever means possible. Like, they were guaranteed of their income. So what the Romans would do is they would issue essentially contracts, tax contracts, and then wealthy people would, would guarantee that income, but then also give, be given license to do whatever they needed to do to recoup their investment that went on to Rome, but also to make a buck there on the side. So let's say they have a, they have a challenge that, for, in, our, in our understanding, they can get $10,000 from a village to send to Rome. They could take twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 and pocket the rest. Rome didn't care. And so tax collectors were, were somehow reviled beyond maybe what we think of a, of a tax person today or a government official today. They were reviled well beyond that because they were traitors. They were somebody who took advantage and they stole from their neighbors. And so Matthew is there doing his job. He's a tax collector. And what does Jesus say to this reviled, hated man? The rest of verse 9, he says, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. And while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy you need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. So instead of ignoring this man who's hated who's seen as a traitor jesus connects with him jesus has this reputation as a glutton and a drunk i don't know if he overate i don't know if he liked liked wine too much i don't think he did but that was the reputation he had because of the people he associated himself with because when you show up at a tax collector's house if you are the pariah of a society who are your friends other tax collectors other pariahs of the society and so Jesus shows up, and he eats with him there, not because Jesus himself was sinning, but because he understood he had to connect. He had to show up. He had to be there. And what does he say? It's not the sick. It's not the healthy you need a doctor, but it's the sick. In the second story, we see that Jesus invested in relationships by affirming people's values. All his life, Matthew has been told, you're a traitor. How dare you? People spat in his face. People have yelled and wailed and cried as he has done horrible things. His personal story is, I'm going to get what's mine, and who cares about what the rest of you are going to deal with. And Matthew is visited by Jesus. And Matthew is seen as somebody who has value. And Matthew is called and says, follow me. And of course, if you didn't figure it out, Matthew is the one who wrote this gospel. Matthew, this guy who was on the outside, the center of sinners, the most, most traitorous, horrible person, becomes one of the disciples and writes one of the Gospels that we have today. Third story. We jump forward to Matthew, Matthew chapter 9, and we, we see a third way that Jesus chooses to invest in people. Starting in verse 18, it says that while he was saying this, so he's talking, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, my daughter has just died. <laughs> 
but come and put your hand on her and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him and so did his disciples. So Jesus is approached by somebody whose title is a synagogue leader. Now, here are some things that we may be able to conclude by that. A synagogue leader is somebody who is not exactly a, uh, an official leader. He's not a cleric. He's not a rabbi. He's not an official in the synagogue. But he is somebody within that community who people look to with authority. It is likely because so many of Jesus' enemies were affiliated with the synagogue, affiliated with the temple system, that this guy was once or had been an enemy of Jesus. But he's also a dad. He's a dad who's grieving, who's brokenhearted, who is desperate. And there is nothing more powerful than a desperate parent. And this guy, in all of his, perhaps, pride, and all of his arrogance, and all of his hatred of Jesus and opposition to Jesus, comes and throws himself at Jesus' feet. He says, my daughter has just died. Come and heal her. In this moment... None of it mattered to that synagogue leader because he was desperate. He's kneeling there. What we see in this third story is that Jesus invests in people by meeting their needs, their specific needs. Jesus is responsive. He took action. He healed this little girl. He raises her from the dead. We don't have time to get into the full details of this, but there's something interesting that happens between when the synagogue leader throws himself down in front of Jesus and begs for help, and when Jesus heals the little girl. There's this interesting account where Jesus is going from point A to point B, and he's walking along the streets. At this point, Jesus has crowds, and people are pressed in around him. And it's interesting, because I was there. In many of these, these towns, I would do this. I would reach out, and I could touch both buildings on either side. These are not two-lane highways. These are pathways. And so you can picture this moment where Jesus is walking and he's crushed in. It's not because there's so many people, but because it's such a narrow space. It says that Jesus stops everybody and says, who touched me? Which is ludicrous because everyone's up against you. He said, no, no, I felt something go out of me. I felt power go out of me. And this woman comes crying at her feet and says, Lord, it was me. It was a woman that for years, for decades, had been just stricken with hemorrhaging. She had this bleeding condition, which is not just physically just torturous and humiliating, and, but it also put her on the outside of the community. Because by, by that, she was not able to participate at the synagogue, at the temple. She was not able to participate in the religious gatherings that happened. She was seen as unclean. So not only is she experiencing this physical ailment, she's experiencing this relational ailment, this societal ailment. And Jesus heals her. And I always found it interesting that Jesus is confronted by the desperate parent. And he's on his way. It's almost like you can picture that, that Jesus is in the ambulance or he's getting a police escort there, and someone flags him down as he's rushing to the scene, and Jesus understands, and in all of his wisdom, I think he's trying to teach us something here, that he still stops and connects with this woman. Because here's the, here's the trap. Some of you type A folks, right? You have a plan for everything. You're going to do X, Y, and Z. You're going to invest in this person. You're going to do this. You're going to help out here. You're going to do all these things. And you miss, you miss the opportunities like this woman who reaches out and asks for help. 
I think Jesus teaches us this to show us that, yeah, we can develop a plan. We can have our calendars and our to-do lists, and those things are good. I know I need to embrace more of that in my life. But if we miss those moments, we miss something powerful. What a powerful image for our day in life. We're rushing from here to here. We're constantly distracted that Jesus, as he's surrounded and pressed in by people, is able to understand and be so connected to God and so connected to the Spirit that he feels something change in his innermost being and recognizes something. What a powerful statement to us in our lives that perhaps we need some of that time where we're paying attention. See, Jesus wasn't just always available to people. There were certainly times when he would step away and he would go and pray. This is you go to a lonely place or a solitary place to pray. He bounced out. He's not just go, go, go and, and solve people's problems and meet with people. He's not doing that. That's not what we're calling you to. That's not what I'm called to. But what we are called to is to invest in people. So here's the challenge. Here's a simple challenge, a simple statement. Am I following Jesus by investing in people as I go through my days? Am I following Jesus by investing in people as I go through my days? Or am I so focused on the next thing that I miss what's going on? This, this, this past week, I'm out on my front porch. I'm in my socks, right? Like, I'm on the front porch, I let the dog out, the kids are playing for a little bit, I'm like, come on, get back in, get back in, get back in. It was, it was kind of like it is today, it was about to rain, because apparently that's all it does lately. And I'm there, and, and my neighbor, my old neighbor, my, you know, I, I moved four houses down, and so like the guy who used to be right next door to me is now across the street and up a ways. He's out there, and he says something, and I'm, I'm alarming rate, I'm losing my hearing, and I have no idea what he says, right? And I could have just said, ah, ha, 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 and like gone back inside, right? I could have, could have pulled that. But, but I had this moment where I was like, I need to go, I need to go talk to him. So in my socks, I walk out there, I'm like standing on the sidewalk, I meet him halfway, and we get talking. I don't know what we're talking about, but it comes up that I just took this trip to Israel. Now, if you've never had an opportunity to invite someone to church or tell them about Jesus, go to Israel, you'll have plenty of opportunities, right? So, so I tell them about my trip a little bit, and I just kind of look up, I was like, when are you going to come, come to church? When are you going to come to our church? And it was in a jokey way, but it was in a serious way. Because I've invited them before, but it was a way to say, like, like look, I, th I think what we're doing is pretty important. I know you believe, and you say you believe, but I know you don't go anywhere on Sunday. I know you don't really have a community. It's, what, what are you doing? And it was one of those moments as I was getting ready for this, I looked back on that. I was like, oh, like, yeah, I need those times in my life where, even though I don't want to walk across the street, even though I don't want to have another conversation about church or my trip or whatever, because I just want to go back inside and eat dinner, I need, I need to pay attention to that. If I'm so focused on what's next, I'm going to miss what's happening right in front of me. So here's a couple quick, simple investing ideas. You know, last week, we challenged you to be praying for three people, to write out some names or some, someone that you, you want to connect with. So some things that you want to do with investing with them, because you don't want to do the drive-by evangelism, just walk up to them, it's like, hey, how you doing? Are you going to come to church with me on Sunday? Don't do that. Don't do that. But you want to be able to invest them. So the first thing I would challenge you to do is to reach out. Is to reach out. Send them a text. Send them a message. Call them on the phone. Knock on their door. Just strike up a conversation with them. Reach out. Don't try to go from zero to 60, but take a step and reach out and connect with them. The second thing I would challenge you to do is that you should, you should uh, uh, share a meal. You know, you're out, you're out grilling out. You're going to have people over this summer. Think about who you're inviting into your home. 
if you work and you go out for lunch a lot, is there someone in your office that you need to have a lunch time with, a lunch date with, even though there's no business to discuss? You just want to connect with them. The third thing is that, that maybe you need to serve a need. This is another cool thing that happened. My neighbor cut part of my grass this past week. I got home, because again, it's raining, and so I get home, and I'm rushing around, because I'm going to try to cut the grass before it rains, and I get home, and half of my yard is already mowed, because my neighbor just decided to do that. What an incredible gift, and it kind of opened up opportunities for us to discuss, because she just served a need. Maybe you could find ways to serve a need, and the second thing is, like it, perhaps you need to share a need. Maybe you need to ask for help. That's tough for us guys. I get it. I'm terrible at it. There's a whole other sermon about this, but we need to share a need. We need to be willing to ask for help. And the fifth thing is this. I love my back porch. Like That's one of the really nice things about the house we moved into. Love my back porch. But if I'm always on the back porch, I'm probably not as relational. I'm probably not meeting people. I need to spend some more time on my front porch because that's when I'm going to talk to my neighbors. I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it is actually your front porch. But you need to figure out where your front porch is. Where you're spending your time, where you're going to interact with people that maybe isn't your first choice. And you need to go and be a part of that. Maybe when you get home, instead of pulling into your garage and hitting the button to close the garage door before you even get out, maybe you need to get out and find an excuse to walk around and go talk to the neighbor. Maybe for you, when you show up to work, instead of going straight to your desk or straight to get into work, maybe you need to find some time, and maybe you hate doing the small talk, maybe you need to find time for small talk. You need to find ways to connect with other people. See, Matthew wrote his gospel so that people would come to know Jesus, the one they had been waiting for. That Matthew's writing to a people that have been looking for the Messiah for hundreds of years. And Matthew's announcing, this is the one you've been looking for. This is the one you have been, been hoping for, praying for, expecting. And see how when he showed up, how he lived and how he intentionally invested in others. And see how through doing that, he brings people to knowing him. Those three people on your list. If you haven't written them down, maybe you need to do that now. You probably know them really, really well. And you know how you can be intentional. You know what that relationship needs. And you know that every person longs for meaningful relationships. We are wired for it. Yet for so many of us, we isolate ourselves. So what if we lived as a, as a people who saw our opportunities to connect with others as an opportunity to invest in them? What if we saw opportunities when we're around others as opportunities to invest in them with intention, with purpose? Not just for them to be another notch in the belt. Not for them just to somehow come to this experience so we can feel good about ourselves. But because we love them so much, we care about them so much, we know their lives and we recognize that Jesus is absent. And that absence makes all the difference. Think about your life. If you're a follower of Jesus, think about your life and think about what's different. Not because everything's easy. Not because you have all the answers and doubt has been removed, but think about your life. Is it better? Is it better? If it is, why wouldn't we share this with other people? Not in a weird way, not in a pushy way, but in a way that makes sense to that relationship. The band's going to come up and we're going to take our communion together. 
as a time to, to, to celebrate these things and reflect back on what Jesus did. That a communion is kind of this leveling event where we can all come to the table and celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus. And in, in this moment, I, I, I come back to Matthew 9, verses 12 and 13, and it says that Jesus says, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Matthew is writing to a people that understand that if I have to connect with God, I need to follow this list of rules. I need to jump through these hoops. And Jesus here quotes the prophet Amos where he says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And what he's telling them is that you religious people who are so focused with your list of rules and do's and don'ts, you are missing it in your effort to connect with me. What I'm asking for is not action, is not jumping through these hoops, it's not prerequisites, it's mercy. It's a life that's different. It's a life that is about sacrifice, about service, about generosity. It's a life that we see in Jesus so fully. A life that is in tune with truth and forgiveness. And what we see in those relationships that Jesus has is that he is connecting people with intention. And you and I, we are not Jesus, but we now have a model. We can see what it looks like. I love the fact that Jesus picked for his disciples people who are uneducated. People who were seen as traitors. He picked the guy who would betray him. You think Jesus didn't know that Judas was going to do that? But Jesus picks the 12, not because they were the best or the brightest, not because they had it all figured out. Jesus picks people to say, you are going to be coming around me because he sees something in them. He sees value and worth that we don't see, that we don't understand. He picks people who have been passed over, who have been pushed to the side. And I don't care how successful you are, you have had moments you have felt like you've been passed over and pushed to the side. You have had moments where you felt like you were lonely, where people have said horrible things about you that may or may not be true. You have experienced moments where you have said, what's the point? And Jesus goes to 12 guys who'd experienced this and countless others, other men and women who are on the outside, who are pushed to the side, who were forgotten and left out and says, hey, let's go. I'm going to show up to your house and we're going to have a party. I'm going to heal you and I'm going to tell you you're forgiven. I'm going to be there in this moment with you because you by yourself, because of what I say about you, because of what my father says about you have value. So when we come to this table, this table is a way that we can respond to this invitation. It's a way for us to say, God, you are investing in me, you have invested in me, and I want to show up and be present in this moment. It's a way for you that regardless of doubts, regardless of, of confusion, regardless of questions that you may have that are legitimate, you are able to say, I want to be about this Jesus who died on that cross. I want, to, I want my life to be in line and following somebody who would willingly give up his life when he was completely innocent. I want my life to be about somebody who saw people not as projects, but as people. I want my life to reflect that. And I think just as the Jesus called the, the, the overlooked and the outcast and the second rate and the failures, 
the people who didn't have it figured out over and over again, I think he's calling us in the same way. So here in a moment, I'm going to pray. And then I'm going to say amen. When I say amen, you can stand because the band's going to jump into the song and, and sing, and you can sing with us. You can sit there and you can, you can think about these things. Maybe you need to think about who your three are. Maybe you need to think that maybe you're on somebody's list, that your name is there because you, you're not a follower of Jesus and you're checking things out and you're exploring things and you're trying to figure out what's next. And during that time, as you're, as you're sitting there, as the band is playing and singing, these tables are open to you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we'd invite you to come and take bread, dip in the juice, and eat it.